The Lord put something special on my heart to be able to share with you guys. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Psalm 23. It's called the Shepherd's Psalm, and we'll see why as we get into it. But Psalm 23 on this December 25th, 2016, going into the new year with a Christmas message. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love for us. Lord, we thank you that we can have this relationship with you through your son, through the the greatest gift that ever came to this world, through the sacrifice made on our behalf on the cross. And Lord, I, I just don't personally know how anyone in the world can go through life without you, without the hope of heaven, without the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much that we have access to you and that Lord, even when we are resisting the work that you want to do in our lives, you are steady, completing the work that you've begun. And so we thank you for the work of your spirit. And we just pray, Father, that you would speak to us through your word this morning as we offer this time up to you. Open up our eyes, open up our ears to hear what the spirit says to the church this morning. In Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So... Psalm 23, kind of different for Christmas message, right? I was praying, and it was two weeks ago that the Lord said, I want you to share Psalm 23 for Christmas. And so whatever that means and whatever that um, is about, we'll just let God settle that in eternity. But ultimately, there has to be somebody here who needs to know the comfort of what this psalm is and what it's about. Um, and so I, I don't guess or second guess God. I just try to obey what he calls me to do. And um, it's a very, very personal psalm. Uh, if you were to look at the grouping of the psalms, Psalm 22, 23, and 24, um, they're, they're dealing on different levels. And Psalm 23 uh, gets extremely personal in, in your daily personal lives throughout the year. And so here we are ending the year And Psalm 23 is a neat point to come to for that because you have seasons in life. If you look at the four seasons that we have, not in California so much, but throughout the world where you have a winter, spring, summer, fall, and sometimes they're harsh and sometimes they're mild, but nonetheless, those are seasons. Well, you have the same thing in your life. Sometimes you go through difficulties. Sometimes you go through dark times. Sometimes it's bitter cold. Sometimes it's Um, just the heat is is bearing down on you and it's overwhelming. And so Psalm 23 takes us through those seasons of life and we just see that God is within each one of those seasons. And so never, never lose sight of the fact that God loves you and that God is good and that God has a plan for you, that he's he's not resting, he's not taking a nap, he's not forgot about you in any sense of the word. And so the psalm reads, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord 
forever. Out of all the relationships that we can have with God, we have a child and a parent. He is our Heavenly Father. We are His son or daughter if we have received Christ into our hearts. And so the world isn't born into the family of God. You have to be born again into the family of God. And so every single one of us is created in the image of God with a conscience and a will. And we know right from wrong intuitively, internally, in our hearts. The Bible says that the law is written on our hearts. And so we come into faith, we come into a relationship with God the moment that we receive the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross on our behalf. And so then we have this relationship now where we are his child and he is our father and just all the good things that that means. He's a perfect heavenly father, unlike our earthly fathers who are imperfect because they're sinful, where God is sinless and perfect. And so he he loves us with the right amount. He chastens us with the right amount. He encourages us in the right amount and all of those different things. So that relationship as father and um, child. And then we can have a relationship with God as uh, a bride and a husband. And so the church is called the bride of Christ. And it's the bride of Christ as opposed to the wife of God, right? Israel would be the wife of God. We as the church are the bride of Christ and the bride of Christ speaks of hot romance. It speaks of a vibrant, vital relationship with God as opposed to something that has waned and has gone dull and dreary. No, we're the bride of Christ and he is forever wanting to seek us and go after us and to just love on us fresh and anew. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. And various other relationships that we can have with God. But David here speaks of shepherd and a sheep. And if you know anything about sheep, they're not the brightest in the animal kingdom in the sense that they're dependent. And so if you've ever gone to the circus, maybe you've seen, I don't know, dogs jumping through hoops and elephants doing stuff and I heard even that there were these fleas that could do these flips and stuff on call and so I mean there's some animals out there in the animal kingdom that can do some pretty incredible things if you spend enough time and train them and have your little clicker click click you know little dolphins and killer whales and all these animals right can do all of these crazy things I guarantee you've never seen sheep at a circus because they can't do anything they just, they, they get in ruts and, and they're just, they're slow to learn and, and they are absolutely dependent upon the shepherd. And so this week I had the opportunity to read once again, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 by Philip Keller, uh, probably the greatest commentary to Psalm 23. And this shepherd, uh, he takes each verse and he applies it to his life where he had the honor and the privilege to be able to be a sheep herder. And just each verse comes to life as he just breaks it down and just shows, um, you know, the stubbornness of his sheep and uh, just the ruts that they get into and, and just how without his care, they would, they would, they would struggle. And so the care of our shepherd and, and what David is writing here for us now he starts with the Lord is my shepherd and you'll notice in your Bibles if you have them that 
It's capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D. And that's a special name for Lord. It comes, uh, it's an unpronounceable word. It's the same word that God would give to Moses when Moses says, when I go to Pharaoh and, and tell him who sent me, who, who, who do I say that you are? And he says, tell him that I am who I am. I am the all-existing one. And it's a compound word in that it is, the, uh, Jehovah was what we translated into English. It's Yahweh, Y-H-V-H. And it's unpronounceable. And so what they did, I think it was 2nd century A.D., where they stopped pronouncing here. I have it here. Wait, 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 let me read it, because that's not sure. The Hebrew word that translates as Lord found more, than, uh, more often in the Old Testament than any other name, approximately 7,000 times. The title is also referred to as the Tetragrammaton. I don't know how to pronounce that. Meaning the four letters YHVH comes from the Hebrew word to be and is the special name that God revealed to Moses at the burning bush. Uh, let's see. I don't know how many. It's at, oh, 200 AD. So it says scholars really don't know the proper pronunciation. The Jews stopped pronouncing this name by 200 AD out of fear of breaking the commandment. You shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain, Exodus 27. And so because of that, what they did was they took those four letters, those consonants, Y-H-V-H, and they took Lord, the name for Lord, capital L, lowercase O-R-D, Adonai, and they took the vowels in Adonai and they put them in between, and that's where we get Yahweh. And then we translate that into English as Jehovah the unpronounceable name of God. But we're not sure exactly if that's what it is supposed to be, but that's the best we can get. And so he starts there and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And then Keller would write in his book, well, who is this Lord? And is he worthy to be my shepherd? Does he have credentials to be my shepherd? And, and he goes into an entire chapter just talking about the Lord and who he is and uh, just the wonder of what he did. Bobby was talking to me about uh, just the poverty, or he heard a message that Jesus was born into poverty and how that's not necessarily the case. That um, because his father was a carpenter, there, there was money there, and the gifts that the Magi gave him uh, brought money. But here's what I know. Jesus was rich in heaven and came to this God-forsaken world and lived in obscurity and poverty in that sense, where he had everything and he gave it up to come to this world, to be born into this world, into a cesspool of sin and just everything that he would experience. And so his credentials are just incredible that he would do that for us. Our God is a missionary God. He left home and he come, came to a different place, to this world. And so God has a missionary heart. And he has always been a giver, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so he wants us to be as well. But just think about that and what he's done. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. So he has the one that has the credentials to be able to lead me, to guide me, to love on me, to know the pain that I go through, to know the sufferings, the struggles, to know the insecurities, the disabilities, just the everything that goes on in my mind. He's my shepherd and he's looking out for me as a shepherd 
And then he says, as a result of the Lord being my shepherd, he says, I shall not want. I shall lack for nothing is what that means. Because the Lord is my shepherd looking out for me, there's nothing that's going to happen in my life that is going to leave me lacking. That's tough in 2016 America where we live in such a materialistic world where we go without many times what our neighbors seem to go through. That grass is greener on the other side syndrome that we sometimes all kind of succumb to. But he will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory, the Bible says. And so he provides everything that we need right when we need it. This name, the Lord is my shepherd, being a compound name. I found this very interesting as I was studying. Throughout the Old Testament are given very many names for Jehovah, for this Yahweh, for God. And the Lord is my shepherd would be one. Um, The Lord my shepherd is Yahweh Ra, by the way. The Lord is my provider, found in Genesis chapter 22. And yet he makes me to lie down in green pastures. And you'll see how these complement one another throughout this psalm. Uh, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, my peace. In verse 2, it says he leads me beside the still water. Speaking of that peace. Uh, The Lord, my healer in Exodus chapter 17, he restores my soul. And as I was studying that and thinking about that, so many of us need soul healing. Where the real us, the inside us, the reality of our minds and and our thought life and the pains that we go through need that touch from the Lord. Jehovah, I can't even pronounce this, Tidzkayinkanu, T-Z-I-D-K-A-Y-N-U, Sidkanu, that's how you pronounce it, the T is silent, Sidkanu, the Lord my righteousness, and he says in verse 3, he leads me. In paths of righteousness. He goes on. And Jehovah Shema. The Lord is ever present. And in verse 4 it says. For you are with me. In verse 5. Jehovah Nisi. The Lord my banner. It says in verse 5. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies. And finally. In verse 6. Jehovah Yaira. Y-I-R-E-H. Yaira. Yira? Yeah, whatever you guys say. The Lord who sees or the Lord who provides, Genesis chapter 22, it says, surely goodness and mercy, mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And so you just see the compound name of the Lord followed throughout the psalm as God. Jehovah means the becoming one. Think about that. He will become that what we need when we need it for us. And so he is never changing and yet always adapting to our circumstances, to our struggles, to our pain, to our confusion, to our needs. That's incredible. So verse 2 says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. A lot of things need to take place before a sheep is ready to be able to lie down. He has to be free of a lot of things, free of predators, free of, free, free of fear, free of parasites. And, and as you read again through the book, a shepherd looks at Psalm 23, he goes through all of these and you begin to see, wow, 
how is the Lord going to get me to be able to sit at these still waters? He's up for the challenge. And so throughout your life, you will see God's hand. I was listening to somebody call in on a radio program. They were asking Bible questions. And one of the questions was a, a parent calling on behalf of her child. And she didn't get the opportunity to be able to raise those children to the best of her ability in the ways of the Lord because she came to the Lord a little late. And the answer to the question was, God has been working on your children when you weren't. God has loved your children in in that spiritual way when you didn't. And it's hard for us to fathom that we can love somebody so much and yet God love them more. And so God is at work behind the scenes doing a work in the hearts and lives of individuals who we love dearly. And the moment we want to be able to express that love of God for them, guess what? God's already been there. He's already been working. And so don't be afraid to be able to share with people, hey, what's God showing you? Well, they don't even know God. Yeah, they don't, but God's working. God's doing a work behind the scenes. And so for us to be able to lie down in green pastures is to trust that God is going before us, taking away the fear getting rid of the parasites and the bugs, the, the obnoxious things that come into our lives. He's doing that. Verse 3 says, He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. The restoration of the soul, I think, is one of the greatest needs in the church today. So many are coming from so much baggage and pain, so much confusion from going the way of the world and thinking that that's where it's at and that's what is going to fulfill and satisfy. And when all along, it was always with God. It was always the things of God that would truly satisfy and and, and give us the longings of our heart. And so we have opportunity to be able to do that every day. Leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I think of that scripture in Philippians chapter one, verse six, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And so he's leading you in paths of righteousness. When something interrupts your life and shocks you and gets your attention, God's right on time with that thing. Using that very thing to lead you along where he has you scheduled in the future. And I don't know, we think at times that this is not supposed to be happening. This is not on the agenda. This is not supposed to be scheduled. And God's like, what are you talking about? Before the foundations of the world, I had this thing in store. And I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it to show you that I'm leading you, that I love you, that I'm guiding you each step of the way. Nothing comes into our lives that doesn't pass the throne of God. In verse 4, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. This is a psalm that is often read at funerals because it says the shadow of death there. We just studied 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and it said, O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and sin has been removed because Jesus carried that sting of death. Remember the story of the father whose daughter was deathly allergic to bees, and a bee comes in the house, and she says, Daddy, she's freaking out because she knows that she can get gravely ill. And the dad just reaches and grabs it, and she says, Dad, where is it, where is it? And he opens his hand, and it shows the stinger of the bee in his hand. He took the, the pain on her behalf, on his daughter's behalf. And that's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. He took the sting of death out 
And so death is still an interruption. It's something that's unnatural. It shouldn't come. But notice he says, yea, though I walk through. We're not camping. We're not, we're not stationed. We're walking through. And how would we know a mountaintop if we didn't know a valley? And so it's very important for us to go through valleys so that we can contrast the valley to the mountaintop and know, whoa, mountaintop, yeah! This is what I'm talking about. Woo, I was in the valley last year, but woo, mountaintop today. I am not mad at this, right? Also in the valley of the shadow of death, there's a shadow, and the shadow means that the sun is still shining. There's a sun, and it's the, it's the sun, the S-O-N, that is causing the shadow because he's in between you and the sun that's shining, but he's with you. In the valleys, leading you through the valley. And you know what? The only way to get to the mountaintop is to go through the valley. And as you read, again, Keller's book, going through the valley, says, you know, sometimes that's the best place for the sheep because that's where they get some uh, sustenance that they've never had before. It grows in the shadows. And he has to go and he has to go before him and uh, pluck out all the poisonous stuff and make sure that the predators aren't there and everything. And that's what God does as he goes before us. But we're going through, guys, and God is with us as we go through. I will fear no evil. He goes on, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff were instruments, tools, in the hand of the shepherd to be able to use so that the uh, sheep would be protected and taken care of. The rod was used not just for discipline, but also to uh, scare away and, and chase away predators. And so the rod is something that should be a comfort for us, even when God chastens us, even when he disciplines us. In fact, the Bible says if you are without chastening, if you're not disciplined, then you're illegitimate and you don't belong to God. And so hopefully we've gotten a spanking or two, and we know that that spanking should bring comfort, where God gets our attention and he lets us know, hey, I love you. Let's knock it off. Cut that thing out or whatever. Okay, so the rod is used for that. The rod is also used, uh, have you ever heard, going under the rod? So those, the sheep would be inspected. Remember in the Old Testament that if they were to sacrifice a lamb, it was to be without spot and without blemish? Well, they would go under the rod and the, the shepherd would use the rod to be able to part the wool and to see if there were any blemishes, any scars, any uh, rashes on the skin of the sheep. And so... Uh, we go under the rod, we go under inspection, and guess what? We come out what? Righteous, unblemished, perfect, because we are in Christ. And so God sees us as without fault, without sin because of that. Uh, the staff was that thing that little Bo Pete used. Remember that little hook, little thing that she used? And that thing is a, a neat little instrument that the shepherd would use to be able to maybe bring the baby lamb to the mom. They call them a you, right? The mom lamb. And they would be able to pick it up and put it close. And so God used that, that staff in our lives to bring us close in intimacy. And even when they're marching, he could use the staff to just remind the uh, sheep that, hey, the shepherd's nearby. And so the Lord uses these instruments in our lives to keep us close. And I find in my life and probably in your life, you've figured this one out too. It's when I go through the deepest of times that I feel the presence of the shepherd. And I'm, I'm confident, I'm, I'm secure in that. Even though it's hard, even though it's difficult, even though it's a struggle, just his presence alone just brings that hope and that security that he is with me as I go through life. 
You anoint, uh, I'm sorry, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. The table is called Mesa in two countries. In Latin country, Mesa, Mesa is table. And in Africa, the Mesa is the table. And it's the table lands on the top of uh, mountains. And so to get to the top, you go through the valley and you can see as you progress in the psalm that the sheep are going to higher and higher ground with the shepherd. And so as a table is prepared before me, we don't know what God had to do to be able to prepare the next thing in life that comes our way, but God is doing a preparation. God is at work in your life. He's doing something at all times. And so to the extent that we participate and cooperate, I think it's to the extent that we get to experience those blessings on a far greater level. If you were asked, hey, what do you think the condition of the church is? You might have a lot of answers. You might say, well, the condition of the church is not good. Condition of the church is poor. It's horrible. But if you ask that question from the perspective of the shepherd, and you said, hey, how do you think God's doing with the condition of his church? Whoa. How is God doing? Well, God's perfect. God's right on time. God's doing his work. God's not sleeping. He doesn't slumber. Um, Condition of the church must be perfect from God's perspective. Did Jesus not say, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? And so guess what? God's doing a work in your life, in my life, behind the scenes. At all times, he's preparing us, a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I might not be participating with God to the extent, to the degree that I should. All that means is that I'm missing out on the blessings that God has for me. But God's doing his work. He's doing his job. And so we learned that this Wednesday as we looked at the different uh, responses between Zechariah and Mary. Mary received the message from the angel by faith. She took God at his word. And by faith she said, let it be to me as you say. Where Zacharias was kind of hemming and hawing. Wow, this really can't be. See, I'm really, really old and my wife is really, really old. And so in his own understanding, in his own thinking, he's figuring out why it couldn't happen, this promise that God had given him. And because of that, he missed out on an opportunity to share the good tidings that came to him that day. And for nine months, he would experience muteness. He wouldn't be able to speak and talk about these great things. And so you and I, sometimes we experience that. Do we respond to God in faith as he's preparing a table before us in the presence of our enemy? Or do we complain? Do we gripe? Do we nag? Do we pound our fists on the table and throw a little two-year-old tantrum in the supermarket as people look on and say, oh boy, that's embarrassing. It's our choice. But God is doing his work. He's preparing a table before us in the presence of our enemies to take us to higher grounds. We're going to higher grounds, kicking and screaming or walking by faith, taking him at his word, trusting that, wow, I want to participate. Isn't it better? Like, I'm sure you probably experienced this. Those times where like you're walking by faith and people around you maybe are looking on and they're saying, man, I don't know. I don't know how you're doing it. Your life is falling apart and you just... You got this silly smile. Stop. Cut it out. You're making me nervous. Are you losing touch with reality? It's like, no, I'm actually, I'm in touch with reality, the way, the truth, and the life. I'm, I'm in touch with the source of reality. 
Isn't that better and neater of a time when those times happen as opposed to you're, you're kicking and screaming and complaining and just nagging the whole way. And then God gets you to the table. He gets you to the flatland. He gets you where the table is set up. And you're like, Lord, for me, all of this, wow, this blessing is prepared for me. Oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed right now. Okay, wow, I got to do that different next time. And the lesson is coming around again. Another opportunity will be there because God continues to work. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. The anointing of the head with oil was for a lot of things. One of the biggest things were the gnats. There's like all these different flies that exist in these highlands. And all of these flies, what they do is they'll look for a uh, moist place on the sheep, usually in his nostrils, her nostrils. And then it will begin to plant its babies there, larvae, right? And then it will go up and through the canal and enter into the head and it will begin to just drive the sheep mad. And so a derelict shepherd doesn't care. These gnats do their their bidding. They do their work and many a sheep has gone mad where they just, they'll butt their head against the wall just trying to get rid of just going crazy as they're going crazy but not the good shepherd the good shepherd is going to take care to make sure that he anoints our heads with oil so that all of those things will not bother us will not make us go crazy and so anytime you are struggling with thoughts anytime you are struggling with the things that bug take it to the shepherd and say lord can you anoint me Can you help me with my thoughts? Can you minister to me as you need to right now? Call on the name of the Lord and as he anoints you, watch those thoughts begin. Why does it work like that? I don't know. I don't know. But call on the name of the Lord. He will never deny his kids that prayer. My cup runs over, he says. So it's to a point where that anointing can overflow out of our lives. Verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I see verse 6, the last verse going with verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Why shall I not want? Because God is with me. He's with me through difficulties, He's with me in the good times. He's with me when I struggle. He's with me when I don't get it. He's not leaving me. He's not forsaking me. He goes to prepare a place for us. And where he goes, he says, he will come back to take us where he is. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'll close with just one little thing from the book. As I was reading through the book again, like I said this week, in the section where he says, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We know that sometimes we haven't been led in paths of righteousness. And oftentimes we have made mistakes. And so who are the ones that the enemy is able to cause to get off the path? It's usually the what? The stragglers, the individuals that are lagging, the ones in the back. And so there is something of a response on our part as God wants to do all of these things in our life. 
He's not going to force us. And so in this section, he writes, in brief, seven fresh attitudes have to be acquired. They are the equivalent of progressive forward movements onto new ground with God. If one follows them, they will discover fresh pasturage, new abundant life, and increased health, wholesomeness, and holiness in their walk with God. Nothing will please him more, and most certainly no other activity on our part will or can result in as great benefit to other lives around us. Number one, to be able to see and experience these paths of righteousness. Instead of loving myself most, I am willing to love Christ best and others more than myself. Number two, and then he gives a whole explanation of that. Number two, instead of being one of the crowd, I am willing to be singled out, set apart from the gang. Number three, instead of insisting on my rights, I am willing to forego them in favor of others. Number four, instead of being boss, I am willing to be at the bottom of the heap. Or to use sheep terminology, instead of being top ram, I'm willing to be a tail ender. Number five, instead of finding fault with life and always asking why, I am willing to accept every circumstance of life in an attitude of gratitude. And then number, number six, instead of exercising and asserting my will, I learn to cooperate with his wishes and comply with his will. And finally, number seven, instead of choosing my own way, I am willing to choose to follow in Christ's way simply to do what he asked me to do. And so there is a response on our part. And I think it starts with God being the initiator. The Bible says in the book of Romans that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When did he demonstrate his love for you? When you were at your best, when you were doing your best job, when you had it all figured out. Nope. When you were a sinner, when you were dead spiritually, when there was nothing you could offer God, that's when God demonstrated his love for you. And so if that's when he demonstrated his love for us, how much more as we continue to walk by faith, taking him at his word, trusting that he has a way better plan for us than we have for ourselves, get to know the good shepherd. Spend time. There's no substitute for it. There's no magic. Church is a tiny part of your life. It's one day a week for an hour and a half on Sunday morning. Wednesday if you go, Tuesday if you go, Friday if you go, Saturday if you go. It's a very, very, very small part of your life. Your relationship with God should take place the moment you wake up until you go to bed. Walk and talk with him. Spend time in his love letter. Get to know him. See it from the perspective of Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord give you peace and lift up his countenance toward you. Or lift up his countenance toward you and give you peace. Look at it from that perspective that God loves you. That God is good. That God has a plan for you. And when you read everything in the scriptures, it has to be from that foundation of God's love and his plan for you. And you begin to see, wow, Lord, you're so good as he grows us up. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you care so much. Lord, you are the good shepherd. You give your life for the sheep. You're not a hireling, Lord. You're not one who's doing this part-time. 
This is your calling. This is what you do, Lord. You lead us in paths of righteousness for your namesake, your testimony, your reputation is on the line when you called us to come out from amongst them and separated us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would desire to participate with this work that you desire to do. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Son once again on this Christmas morning. Salvation has come to us because of what you did 2,000 years ago. That is mind-boggling to believe, but our eyes are open, our ears are unplugged, and we hear what the Spirit says to the church. And so thank you so much for the work of your Spirit. And may we desire to participate with you in this thing called life and not to leave you outside of the plans and the things we do. For your honor, for your glory, for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.